We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki. All right, hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, my dear friends. My As we get ready for the uh, Hurricane Hotline here tonight from 6 until 8 o'clock. And uh, coming up with us here in one second, University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega will be joining us here between 6 and 7. We'll talk about spring football at the uh, top of the 7 o'clock hour. We'll have a couple of interviews for you. Don Bailey Jr. joins us at the top of the hour in uh, hour number 2. Katie Meyer also with us tonight in the show. And Gino Damari, uh, University of Miami baseball coach. The skipper will, will wrap things up here as we approach the 8 o'clock hour. But we start tonight with University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega as we come down the home stretch in the college basketball season, the final week of the regular season. Canes will have two games this week at home against the defending champs, Virginia, on Wednesday. And then Syracuse comes to town on Saturday. So two uh, big challenges coming up. Coach, good evening. How are you? Hi, Joe. How do I sound? You sound great. Well... We had a tough week. Uh, we went on the road and played played Notre Dame. Uh, they were shooting lights out. We, we really just could not defend them. They have five guys who shoot threes, and they were all red hot. And that was, that was a disappointing loss. We went to, to uh, Georgia Tech on Saturday in Atlanta, and I thought we played um, – about with as little effort as we have in the first half. Like, it didn't seem like we were putting any pressure on them defensively. We weren't moving the ball very crisply. Uh, it, it looked like we lacked energy for yeah. some reason. And then in the second half, we played with tremendous effort, moved the ball extremely well, and just, Played it and inspired, you know, 20 minutes. We were down 20, came back and took a two-point lead, and I thought we were going to finish strong and win the game. But unfortunately, uh, we went cold right at the wrong time. We, we, were, we had 57 points with four minutes to go and didn't score the rest of the game. Yeah, I thought the Georgia Tech game, uh, it was uh, baffling in a couple of ways. One, I thought it was three, three games. The first half most of the second half, and then the final four minutes of the game. Because there was about a 14-minute stretch in the second half where, where your team played brilliantly. We went on a 24-2 to run. Yeah. Against a team that was playing great defense. But I think exactly what happened, Joe, was uh, our defense improved so dramatically during that 10-12 minute period uh, that we were getting so many good stops and the effort at one end, the defensive end led to really good offensive opportunities. And that's what my coaching staff and I have preached all season long. This is about whether we defend and rebound. When we defend and rebound, we score at a high level. When we don't defend and we don't rebound, we just don't score very well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you mentioned the first half, and I felt uh, at halftime very much the same way uh, what you had just described. And what's peculiar to me, I was going to ask you, is how hard is it to get a read on your team, whether it's shoot around, practice when you go back to before the game, you might say to yourself, oh, boy, I think we're going to really play well tonight, and then the team doesn't play well, or you think, oh, man, it just was no energy in practice. I don't know how well we're going to play tonight. And then they play great. Because I was watching the shoot-around, there was all this energy, and then uh, the beginning of the game didn't really start out that way. Yeah, 
I, I think your observation was correct. I think at Notre Dame, we had great energy during the shoot around at Georgia tech. We had great energy during the shoot around. And I agree with you. I, I think that's kind of an indication of what kind of energy we'll have for the game. But I think quite honestly, Georgia tech deserves some of the credit yep. because of their change of defenses. I think it kind of stymied our guys. Uh, it's it's not something you see very often where a team plays a 1-3-1 and then they change to a 1-1-3 and then they go man-to-man and then they're back to the 1-3-1. Then they're back to the 1-1-3. And in each case, you've got to run something a little differently. And I think what we did in the first half is we stood around trying to figure out what defense they're in and what we should run. And even when we ran the correct thing, we, we did it lethargically. Like I, I told, the, told the players at halftime, look at, we pass and then hold on to the ball. Then we pass again and then hold on to the ball. There's no crispness, no, no ball movement and man movement where everybody's clicking. And in the second half, we picked up the defensive effort and all of a sudden we're making baskets at the other end and the defense was terrific for about 16 minutes. Think about this. We gave up 40 points in the first half. 40. Right. And with, with like five minutes to go in the second half, they only had 50. They scored 40 in 20 minutes. They scored 10 in, the, in, 35, in, in, in 15 minutes. So the defense was terrific for 15 minutes of the second half. But that doesn't win the game, Joe you got to have a consistent effort and you got to execute the game plan for 40 minutes because you're playing against such high-level players. That backcourt of Jose Alvarado and Michael DeVoe, from all the experts that I've spoken to about that Georgia Tech team, they think that's the best combination of point guard and two guard in the league. They're both averaging about 16 points a game. They're both averaging three or four assists. They're both very good defensively, come up with a lot of steals and deflections. So, And then their front court, James Banks and Moses Wright, are very big, very athletic. There was one play where uh, Rodney Miller had it inside, got double teamed, got the ball to Keith Stone for a layup, and James Banks turned around and blocked it. Yeah. Do you remember it early yes. in the game? Yes, I do. Yep. And his... When you have two shot blockers like James Banks and, and Moses Wright, they're not giving up very many easy baskets, uh, especially close to the rim. Yeah. they uh, And once they start doing that and altering shots, I think that, you know, that gets into the minds of your players, too, when they're trying to get to the rim or out on a fast break or something. And we're going to face that Wednesday. Did you see uh, how many block shots uh, Virginia had against Duke? Well, I saw Huff had. I think he had 10 by himself. Yeah. Can you imagine Jay Huff at, at 10 blocks? He, it's the second most by an individual at Virginia since Ralph Sampson had 12. And I was there for that game. Ralph was blocking everything. Well, Jay Huff had one of those days. He's seven foot one, long and athletic, and against a Duke team that's in the top ten in the country, and he was blocking everything at the rim. Yeah, uh, we definitely want to spend some time on Virginia because they're playing great basketball right now. They're the next opponent for the University of Miami, the defending champs. Come in on Wednesday at nine o'clock. It'd be great to have a sold out arena for that one uh, to see Miami and. Uh, Virginia, it's a it's a big game for you because we, we're trying to get to at the ACC tournament. Now, Georgia Tech, I'm sure you heard, they took themselves out, as we expected. They took themselves out of the postseason play. Uh, they were appealing. They dropped the appeal. So they're out of the postseason, which means on Tuesday, four teams will play uh, in the uh, ACC tournament game. And right now, if I did my uh, standings correctly, uh, the University of Miami is, is somehow tied with Virginia Tech, although I think you win the tiebreaker. Tied with Virginia Tech uh, at 11th place uh, with both teams with two games to go. Of course, Miami, Virginia, and Syracuse. And 
Virginia Tech has Clemson at home, and then they finish at Notre Dame, who's trying to get into the NCAA tournament, uh, trying to get another ACC team in. So this, uh, this is going to be a close shave on whether or not you have to play on Tuesday or Wednesday, and, and it makes a big difference. Well, there's some very important games. Like tonight, uh, NC State is at Duke. And I think normally you would favor Duke, but Duke's lost two in a row. They played on Saturday at Virginia, lost by two points. You got to wonder about their psyche, how they're feeling after dropping two in a row and then having very little or no time to prepare for NC State tonight. You know, when you put it, play a game on Saturday and then you've got like Sunday to prepare, sometimes the best preparation is just rest. Yeah. It's the end of the season, and you've worked really, really hard to get to this point. But if you push them too hard in practice, they might not have any juice uh, for the game because NC State pressures. They're a team that gets after you full court, and so does Duke. So it's an interesting matchup between those two tonight. Now, that game – pretty much doesn't have anything to do with with us. It has to do with the NCAA tournament because NC State's trying to play their way in, and a win over Duke would do it for them, I believe. Yeah. Uh, NC State is 9-9. Nine and nine. You know, if they finish with a, a winning record, you know, they'd be 10-9 and nine after tonight if they were to win. Uh, if they finish 10-10 ten and 10 or 11-9, and, and nine, uh, with a 19 or 20 game uh, regular season record, I, I think they'd be a shoe in for the NCAA tournament. But we're more concerned about the games that are uh, featuring Boston College, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, and North Carolina, uh, because uh, v- Virginia Tech has six wins. We have six. Wake Forest has six. Pittsburgh has six. And North Carolina has five. Four of those teams are going to be playing on Tuesday night. Four of those five. And I can't tell you which one it's going to be uh, because we each have uh, two games to go. And and Pittsburgh only has one game. They're, I believe they're at Clemson. Is that right? Uh I think they finish with Clemson. Clemson has Virginia Tech on Wednesday. So let me pull up their schedule yeah. here. I think I think Pittsburgh has a road game. Anyway, you know, we 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 need to win. If we could get the seven wins, then we for sure would play on on Wednesday. But otherwise it's gonna be a bunch of tiebreakers and then it's your record against the people that you tied with. right? And even at that, we're in pretty good shape there because we've beaten Boston College. We've beaten Virginia Tech twice. We've beaten Wake Forest. We split with Pittsburgh. Our, our really major loss is at Carolina, a game where we only had six guys. Somebody said today, uh, they were talking about the strength of the ACC, and they said, well, uh, there aren't too many conferences that probably have a North Carolina in last place in their conference. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, everybody's acting like like Carolina's down. Nobody's going to want to play them. Yeah. Nobody in the ACC tournament is going to want to face Carolina if they remain healthy. I mean, you look at, uh, and I said this to, to, to someone today uh, on the ACC conference call. I bet you there's more, more ACC players drafted this down year we're having more ACC players drafted than any other league. And your point about Carolina being in last place at this moment. Yeah. They'd be finishing first or second in most leagues. If they remained healthy, they have um, Cole Anthony, who's probably a lottery pick. They have Garrison Brooks, who's probably a first round draft pick. They have Armand Baco, who's probably a first-round draft pick. They've got Brandon Robinson, who's probably a second-round draft pick. I mean, they they act like like Carolina's having such a big year. Well, 
because teams in our league are playing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, Pittsburgh, the one game left, uh, the irony here is they play at Georgia Tech, who just took themselves out of the postseason. Now, Georgia Tech has won six games in a row at home, and they've held five ACC opponents to 58 points per game uh, during this win streak. So that's where Pittsburgh finishes. Yeah, so the question is, excuse me, will the Georgia Tech players um, say this is a meaningless game because we're not going anywhere? Or will they feel like, hey, we want to end this season on a really high note because we've got everybody back next year? Right. I mean, their starting lineup and their subs are all back. This is a very good team. And they were very capable of going into postseason, but they probably weren't going to make the NCAA tournament because they're only 9-9 nine and nine in the league and 15-14 and 14 overall. But next year, they're going to be one of the preseason favorites. Yeah, they were uh, they were they were impressive, and they they seem to have found their identity. And you mentioned the the backcourt guys, Alvarado and Devoe, and uh, they seem to have really good chemistry between the between the two of them. I think they really have a lot of joy uh, playing in the backcourt together. I would agree with that. One of the things that was really impressive to me, and just studying Georgia Tech. There are very few guards in the ACC or in the country that can dribble into the three-second lane, stay very cool, calm, and collected, be surrounded by a lot of big guys, and still make either a layup or a short shot. Did you notice how Alvarado got into the paint and then would you know, challenge the big guys and Michael DeVoe the same way? Yep. They didn't feel any need to to pass the ball back out. They got so close to the basket and then scored themselves. And if that had just happened against us, I'd be very disappointed. But it happened uh, and in, in watching the, all their games. Uh, we told our players, look at these guys don't settle for three-point shots like a lot of teams do. They drive the ball to the basket. They're not in any hurry. They take their sweet time, and they get layups. Yeah, they were they were not uh, they were not intimidated. They uh, they're veteran players that uh, clearly played a lot of basketball and played a lot uh, together as well. By the way, Boston College, uh, if you split in Miami splits, Boston College, you could catch them. Now they've got to play uh, Syracuse. They get Syracuse at home, but they finish at Florida State. And, you know, Florida State is battling to win the ACC. That could be a huge game for Florida State. Well, it will be because, you know, right now at the top of the league, uh, looking at the regular season championship, Louisville is 15-14. and 14. They only have one game left, and I believe it's a home game. Yeah, it's a home game against Notre Dame, I think. Right. But I'm not sure about that. But Florida State is 14-4. and four. Um, If Florida State wins both games, they could tie Louisville for the regular season title. And Duke and Virginia both have five losses. They're hoping for a Louisville loss and a Florida State loss so that there'd be a, t- a, a, a four-way tie for first. But, of course, we're hoping to upset Virginia, who's ranked in the top 25 now, and give them a sixth loss. Yeah, Virginia, by the way, it's uh, Louisville plays at Virginia on uh, Saturday. So uh, Louisville's finish is at Virginia. Oh. And Virginia had Duke, then they have you, and then they're home against Louisville. So you're kind of the sandwich game there for them. And uh, that, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Louisville's at Virginia? Yes, sir. <laughs> that, that could be if Louisville were to lose – that Boston College Florida State game, figuring Florida State wins its on Senior Day at home, right? At Boston College becomes whether or not they can win the regular season outright. That's correct. Yes. I think Virginia would have a great shot of beating Louisville at home. 
Well, we're going to talk about Virginia because they are playing great. I didn't want to uh, touch on one of the quick things that you said earlier, just to pick up on that. And I think it's interesting to our listeners, your, uh, your philosophy late in the season, and you said sometimes late in the season it's better to rest. And I, I distinctly remember you talking to your team often about, hey, it's late in the year, uh, in past seasons, we're not going to run any faster, we're not going to jump any higher, but we can be smarter and sharper. Yeah, if, if you're tired from the, you know, Joe, we just finished two road trips. You know, flying fly to uh, Indianapolis, uh, I'm sorry, South Bend, Indiana, um, and, and, and flying back, just the flights alone are uh, drain you of energy. And then, of course, the game. And then the practices leading to the game. And, and then cut, get home and turn around and, in this week, fly right back to Atlanta. Now, that's not a very long trip, but it's still the end of the season. It's your 28th game. Oh, guys get exhausted. So it'll be very interesting to see who has more energy, Duke or NC State tonight at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Yeah, Duke, by the way, they've lost three of their last four. And I have a, I have a theory on some of this, Coach. That is – the, the, the way the, the TV dictates a lot of these schedules. And uh, so these teams that they anticipate at the beginning of the year that are going to be battling and maybe some of these uh, so-called marquee matchups, they've bunched them all together. And so Duke has lost three of the last four. Along the way, they played North Carolina. This will be their uh, second game against State within two, two weeks. Uh, they'll play Carolina twice within about three weeks. Uh, Virginia was tossed into that mix in Florida State as well. So their schedules are backloaded, and a lot of our, our schedule, a lot of it was front-loaded. Now, that's exactly right. And if you look at, at, at Duke, they were very fortunate to beat Carolina at Carolina. Yeah. They really were down eight with just uh, a minute or two to go. They were down four with about, oh, I don't know, 10 seconds to go. I mean, a lot of things had to happen for them to somehow put that game into overtime and win in overtime. So it's no gimme. Their games this week, uh, NC State and Carolina. So uh, this this league is a lot better than the experts had uh, have been talking about all season long. I said, I think the top 10 teams in this league, no matter who you put in, in the 10th spot, you put us against the top 10 teams in any league, we'd win more than our share. Now, early in the season, we did the ACC Big Ten Challenge. It was 14 games, and the Big Ten won eight, the ACC won six. But a lot of our teams had lost players to the NBA, 14 of our top I'm sorry, 13 of our top 15 all-conference players had left, either for the pros or graduation. So a lot of teams were rebuilding with young guys. Now teams like Virginia are at full strength. Virginia lost three guys to the NBA draft. They, they lost two guys in the first round and one in the second round. And those guys help them win the national championship. So their roles on that team were to be the big scorers. Ty Jerome, uh, Kyle Guy, and and uh, uh, DeAndre Hunter. They were the three leading scorers. So in the beginning of this season, they don't know who their leading scorer is going to be. They don't know where their points are going to come from. So in, in one part of the season, they struggled a little bit. But now they're hitting on all cylinders. Uh, Diakite, Mohamed Diakite is their leading scorer. Kihei Clark, who was like their fifth leading scorer last year, is now their second leading scorer. He's changed his role. He's now shooting the ball more. Uh, and they've got a, a, a junior college transfer who was new to the team and just trying to learn the pack line defense and their circle motion offense. 
And his name is, uh, and I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, Walden Tensei. Right. You did it. Walden Tensei. Thomas Walden Tensei. Or maybe it's Sai. Maybe it's Walden Tensei. So he's now in the starting lineup playing the two-guard position. They're starting Braxton Key at the three and Jay Huff at the five. So that's it. Their point guard is 5'9", and then they go 6'5", 6'8", 6'10", 7'1". They are huge, and and uh, they're playing much better offense. They're getting the ball inside to their big guys, and they're a much better offensive team than they were back in December and early January. They're 7-1. and one. In games decided by three points or less. Yeah, they're very, very comfortable playing slow and keeping it close. And they're so good defensively. If they need a defensive stop at the end of a game when they have the lead, they're good at that. And then the other night, actually last Wednesday, I watched their game from start to finish against Virginia Tech. And Kihei Clark just came down the floor and buried a three for the win. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> He's not even the guy who, who they really work to get three-point shots for. But they have a way of winning close games, that's for sure. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. Hopefully I hit the right button here and put you on hold. Uh, we will continue with Coach L on the Hurricane Hotline right after this. Now back to Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki. Don Bailey Jr. joins us at 7 o'clock tonight. We'll be hearing uh, from Zach McLeod and Corey Gaynor. With uh, DBJ at 7 o'clock as spring football started today the Green Tree practice field. And then uh, Katie Meyer and Gino Damari join us also in hour number two right now with Hurricanes basketball coach Jim Laranega. Wednesday night, Miami and Virginia at the Wasco Center. Saturday afternoon, Syracuse comes to town to take on the Canes. So what a finish for Miami. Uh, two of the premier teams inside the ACC coming into Coral Gables, Virginia on Wednesday. Syracuse on Saturday, ACC tournament We'll start next week in Greensboro. Of course, Greensboro, we've got great memories of the ACC tournament in Greensboro. We'll see if we can uh, duplicate something like that uh, this year. But first, Coach, a big week coming up again uh, with Virginia, the defending champs, and uh, Syracuse. So certainly Virginia will get the attention of your, of your players. Well, our team meeting today, Joe, was very good. I, I think our players – um, have a great deal of respect for, for Virginia and what that program has accomplished. And whenever you're playing the defending national champion in your own league, it's one of the things that I don't understand about, you know, the ACC not getting more respect this year. Think about the teams that have won the national championship since, let's say, since 2000. You know, Syracuse has won a national championship. Virginia's won a national championship. Carolina has won multiple championships. Um, Duke has won multiple uh, championships. Uh, and, and um, you know, the, the Big Ten hasn't won a national championship since uh, Michigan State won it in 2000. Correct. So basically in the last 20 years, you, you don't find a, a Big Ten team uh, – with a national championship to their credit. So you know, I think people are underestimating the ACC. I think you're going to see that in postseason play. Well, uh, we've saw, we, we, we have seen uh, NC State twice, and we saw Notre Dame. And uh, NC State, um, they might be a little, uh, well, they're inconsistent inside this league. But if, if people want to talk about, you know, the eye test, if you want to view a team with your eyes, NC State, when they come out on the floor and go through their layup line, you look at them and say, Woo, they've got some athletes on this team. And we have seen them play really good basketball. And Notre Dame, a week ago, they look every bit like an NCAA team to me. 
great backcourt. You're not going to find too many big guys better than Mooney. I don't think that have the versatility that he, that a player like he has in terms of rebounding, then being able to step out and shoot. And from a, a team that knows who they are, doesn't turn the ball over, and can make three-point shots, uh, I, I think they would be a very difficult team to play in the NCAA tournament. Well, here's a couple of things that, that just in, in studying the opponents that we play, Notre Dame is number one in the country in not turning the ball over. Today, when we were talking about Virginia to our players and we told them you better not complain about fouls because they're going to be very, very physical, but they're not, the referees are not going to call fouls. And the players are like, what do you mean they're not going to call fouls? And I said, well, they're third in the country in fouling. They don't, they don't get called for fouls. And they're very physical. They're very big. And, and so if you're a player playing against them and you get bumped and you expect the call, you know, that's a foul. Well, they haven't gotten called on it in, in 28 games so far. What makes you think in the 29th game, all of a sudden the, re, the referee's going to call fouls on those? You know, some people have the great reputation of being able to play very physically without fouling, and Virginia is one of those. John Thompson's teams at Georgetown during the 80s and 90s had that reputation. They pressed, they trapped, didn't get called for a lot of fouls. The referees looked at them and said, hey, they play really hard. Yes, it's really physical, but they're not, not fouling. So you've got to make that adjustment. And know that hey, the game's going to be physical, and you got to be able to handle the physicality. I find it, by the way, mild, mildly amusing that the ACC is running a short-form documentaries on their social media platforms on all access of referees, trying to make them more likable. That's going to be a tough sell for me. At any rate, is that right? I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, they started today. <laughs> okay, so that's new to me. I'm gonna. So you're telling me if I go online? Yeah, if you go online on the Twitter, yeah, you can find on the ACC page. You'll find a short form documentary, all access uh, of officials, and uh, today's featured wow. group was Roger Ayers and Mike Eads, two two likable guys. But Roger Eads is not on my Christmas list after Saturday. At any rate. Um, no, you mean Roger Ayers. Roger Ayers, yeah, yeah, Roger Ayers. Yeah. Yeah, well, here's what I tell our players all the time, and I tell my coaches about this. I've never seen a referee make a call, and then, let's say, after you've argued with him, him change his mind. <laughs> they just don't do that. Yeah, no. So you have to kind of learn to live with the call no matter good or bad or indifferent. And most of the time, the, the team that the, the foul is called against is bad, and the team that got fouled is happy. And it doesn't matter whether you're the home team or away team. Whatever is good for you, you think is a good call. Whatever goes against you, you think is a bad call. So it's not an easy job. And, and again, the other day, uh, uh, we we had some calls go against us, and I was just trying to tell the players, look at whatever adversity you face on the road, you got to overcome it. We we play with an Adidas ball, you know. They played with a Wilson ball. Well, we can't complain about the Wilson ball. It is what it is, or a Rawlings ball, or a Nike ball. You got to play with the ball that you're given. And that's, that's the same thing with officials. You've got to play the game that's being officiated. People are going to laugh at this question, or they're going to say, what in that world, Josie? But I did read this article uh, the other day on the airplane. I think we were coming back from Virginia Tech, and uh, it was in the Wall Street Journal, and it was, on, it was on basketballs. And the Big West Conference, I guess you guys also have a, uh, a tracker or some kind of tracker inside the ball. Yeah, but the big, yes. and so I don't know if it's affected. Uh, maybe you can tell what it, what it's supposed to to do. But in the Big West, they were complaining that perhaps there was a dead spot, and it was affecting the 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 metrics showed that they were not shooting as well using that ball. 
<laughs> you know, honestly, Joe, that is true. <laughs> the the technology is called Shot Tracker, right? And and it it has a microchip in the ball that when the ball bounces on that microchip, it doesn't bounce the same way as it does on the normal leather part of the ball. But the shot tracker is supposed to track all your shots and tell you uh, afterwards statistically how you've done from every location on the floor. And it's supposed to be very fan-friendly where fans can actually follow it that way. I don't know if it's worked out that way. And maybe that has something to do with us not shooting the three as well. Or maybe that the three-point line has been moved back. I don't know. But it's it's certainly uh, we haven't shot the ball nearly as well as I expected us to this year. Hmm. I tell you, talk about the three-point shot. In the NBA, they come across half court and they're throwing in the three-point shot. I think that in the NBA, they're almost they're almost getting too good for their own game. My son Jay, who's the assistant with the Boston Celtics, said that there's a rumor going around that that Steph Curry is not working on his three-point shot. He's gonna he's been working all year long on his half-court shot. <laughs> <laughs> so that as soon as he crosses midcourt, he can shoot. I, I don't even know. How where, about that? I don't even can know you imagine he, if he starts making forty percent of half court uh, heaps? Uh, honestly, I mean, at some point you got to say, okay, we'll live with that shot. But guys are making the shot; they're they're five feet behind the line and they're pouring them in. Uh, what do you think about Zion? Well, How about Zion start? You see that game yeah, last night? No, let me let me talk about the three point okay. shooting first. James Harden, evidently, early in his career, in the summertime, devoted all of his time to a step-back three. And he had people guarding him, so it seemed like it was a game. It wasn't just shoot by yourself. It was shoot with a hand in your face. Shoot with a guy underneath you. Shoot with a guy on your left side. Shoot with a guy on your right side but constantly shoot with someone right on you, a contested shot, and look how good he's gotten at that now. He shoots that step back with guys hanging all over him, and he's still making them, and he started on that when he first came into the league, and that has to be like 10 years ago. I don't know when Harden joined joined the NBA as a player, but it, it has to be. I think he's been in the league 10 years. He was with uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder for a while, then got traded to the Houston Rockets. They had a couple of great years. I I think he's eight to 10 years in the league. And he makes shots that, you know, 10 years ago, you you would have said awful shot, awful shot. Now he's making it routinely. Well, uh, yeah, he was with Oklahoma City when he played them in in the championship. And uh, what was that, 2010 or 11, or 12, whatever it was. Uh, but these guys are making ridiculous long shots. Uh, the last two weeks, we've seen LeBron and Zion Williamson go at Zion, I think, had 30 last night. He scored. Zion scored 20 points in every game that he's played in. Zion Williamson is, is breaking records now. It's a, really a shame that he he did not start the season has only played half the year because he'd be setting all kinds of rookie r- records. Do you think he'll get votes for rookie of the year? I do. Yeah, I do think I think that's a big conversation. But the way he's playing and he's been in, in uh, uh, some very highly visible games, especially against LeBron, uh, that's received so much national attention. I do think he will. Yes, but you had Jay Morant. Who's had a great season, yeah, John also? Morant. Yeah, John Morant's had a great season. Yeah, and and uh, how how do you think R.J. Barrett has done with the Knicks? Uh, I think he's had a good season, right? Pretty good year. I'll t- I think the Knicks have really struggled. You see all yeah. the changes they made in their coaching, and then in their front office. So they're going through a, a major transformation for about the tenth time. In the last twenty years, so yeah, I think that you know the Phil Phil Jackson 
experiment didn't work out. And some of the other guys who've tried to step in and coach these kids have, have not worked out very well. I think uh, the next problem goes probably all the way to the top there. Their ownership was a little shaky. Well, I, I think the, the NBA owners are very, very successful in their field of expertise. But running a, a pro franchise, whether it's Major League Baseball or NFL or NBA, that, that is a lot different. And I look at these NBA franchises, I'll look at the, the Miami Heat. A guy like Pat Riley is 100% into it and is given the, the responsibility by Mickey Arison. And then uh, Coach Riley gives a tremendous responsibility to Eric Spolstra. And those guys, you know, they, they don't really step on each other's toes. They really do their own thing, but they work with each other. They help each other. Mm -hmm. They do what is necessary. And I think that's what's made it such a, a great franchise that's won, you know, three world championships in, in the last couple of decades. You know, the two with LeBron and the one with, with D. Wade and Shaq. So, you know, that that credit certainly goes to, to the uh, guys in that front office. I'll tell you, it's been spectacular, uh, probably better than I thought in the NBA coach. Uh, and I saw him the, the other night when we were in Atlanta because uh, their, their game was televised. Uh, Trey Young, well, he scored 50 against the Heat. But Trey Young, up until – I guess the other night when he tried to uh, meg a defender, tried to bounce through his legs and have a little shoving confrontation, but he's been spectacular with his passing game and his shooting. He's like he's like Curry. He is, and here's something that's kind of funny. And I, I, I say funny ha-ha or funny peculiar. They might both fit. Two years ago, my wife and I flew to Los Angeles because Bruce Brown and Lonnie Walker's names had been entered into the draft and their agent set up what is known as a pro day. And a pro day is the agent has somebody work the young man out in front of all the NBA scouts. And there had to be a hundred NBA scouts watching these kids. And Bruce Brown was working out with a bunch of other guys and, and, the NBA scouts were there watching. We then hopped in the car and drove across town to watch Lonnie Walker do his, his pro day. And in that, it was just Lonnie by himself doing drills, shooting threes, driving to the basket and dunking it. And he was really, really impressive. But the next guy to come out with his agent was Trey Young. Hmm. And my wife and I sat there watching and I said, well, what do you think? Because she's watched a lot of kids over the last 48 years. She has a sense of what kind of athletes there are in the NBA. Her son coaches in the NBA, so she's watched a lot of NBA players. And she and I both agreed Trey Young is, is just too frail. He's too small. There's no way he can be a, a really good NBA player. His agent is a dear friend of mine. His name is Jeff Austin. And and uh, Jeff and I go way back. And I went to dinner with him that night after the pro day. <laughs> and I asked him, you know, what are you hoping for Trey? And he said, well, he'll go top five. And I said, Jeff, there's no way. I just watched him up close. He weighs about 160 pounds. There's no way. He's lottery even, maybe late first round or early second. He said to me, Jim, I'm telling you, he's going to be in the top five, mark it down. And sure enough, he gets drafted, and then then, then they, they, they trade uh, with the Dallas Mavericks. They give up, Atlanta Hawks give up Doncic, uh, and he goes to, to Dallas, and Dallas gives up Trey Young, and they're both terrific. They're both having great careers in their their first two years. Yeah. So, 
my wife and I were both wrong. Oh, well, so she is... can be wrong. I'm not supposed to be wrong. <laughs> well, I wasn't. I was wrong also. He tried to nutmeg uh, uh, Trevor Ariza though, and Ariza kind of uh, gave him a pretty good shove the other night. Said, "Don't do he that." Took offense to it. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, I I, I can see that. Uh, Giannis is in town tonight. the The Bucks are the Bucks are playing the Heat. Yeah. The Nets were working out at our place today. Oh, is that right? I, I said, what do you, when you guys play the Heat tomorrow? And they said, no, we played them two nights ago. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, you just like Miami? They said, yeah. <laughs> we got to go to Boston next. We play against your son tomorrow night. And I said, oh, that's right. You got the Celtics in Boston. Well, if they do that next year, Kevin Durant will be on, on your floor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Kevin is is trying to get himself back. Kyrie as well. Kyrie's not even playing. No, no, he's out again. He's had a tough time with injuries uh, during the course of his career. And that's the most frustrating thing. Look at our guy, Deng Gak. Yeah. 6'11", working really hard, tears up his knee last year, after eight games, doesn't play another second, has surgery, rehabs, 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 comes back, plays in the first seven games. He's our backup center, playing about 15, 20 minutes a game, injures the opposite knee, and now is out for the season again. That's just bad luck. Yeah. Well, we should probably uh, probably worth uh, mentioning to uh, Hurricane basketball fans, you're going to have, if uh, if, he, if uh, Dang gets himself uh, healthy, and by – I, I just observe the way he walks around. He's always smiling. I think you've made him really feel like a, a big part of the team. Even though he's injured, he's always smiling and yes, sir, no, sir, and very anxious to get back involved. You'll have three big guys next year, right? Yeah, and, and uh, you know, when you talk about Dang and, and his energy and personality that he brings to the team, I was very curious at one thirty today – um, we had a press conference, and the media asked me the question about the mood of the team. And I said, I'm going to be very curious. We had a very rough week, uh, and we practice at 2 o'clock, and I don't know what the attitude will be like. I don't know what the effort will be like. Um, and then we just finished a great practice. Uh, and the attitude, the kids bounced back. They showed you know, great resilience, and and they worked really, really hard, and it was a, a joy to coach them. So I got my fingers crossed that we can figure out a way, you know, to finish this season on a positive note. Well, one of the things you always emphasize is ACC, Attitude Commitment Class, and you got a lot, a lot of new guys coming in this year uh, to understand uh, and learn and live that culture. Yeah, and there's so many things, Joe, that that go into making decisions. I'm gonna I'm gonna share some statistical information I just put together today. Actually, Jeff Dyer, who's my video guy and does a lot of stats for me, I I'm really pleased with the progress that Isaiah Wong has made this year, from where he was in November and and December to where he is in February and March. So if, if you prorated, this is all prorated. So if you said, you know, in the last, I think, I think Isaiah has started since the Carolina game. Yeah. So how how many games is that? He has started Uh, uh, nine or 10 in a row. Yeah. So since the Carolina game, uh, he's been in the starting lineup. So, that, that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games in a row that he has started. And look at where he would be if he had been able to produce in these last ten games had he done that all season long. So his free throw percentage in the last ten games is number one amongst point guards, 91.7%. Amongst two guards, it's second behind Ryan McMahon. Ryan McMahon of Louisville is shooting 93%. Isaiah Wong would be second in free throw percentage in the ACC. 
right? If you if you look at uh, three point shooting, uh, I believe he's he's number one in both. Let me see. That's free throws. I had the three point shooting. He's shooting forty two percent or close to that um, in three point shooting. So amongst point guards and two guards, he, he'd be ranked number one. Yeah, he was at he was at like fifty four percent, fifty seven percent for the first eight starts. Yeah, his his field goal percentage overall would be number one amongst point guards. He's he's shooting forty nine percent amongst two guards. He'd be number one at forty nine percent in front of Goldwire from Duke. All right. And and then um, his three point percentage is forty six percent. That would be first uh, again uh, amongst point guards and two guards. So we've got a diamond in the rough. Mm-hmm. We've got a freshman. He may not make the all freshman team, although I hope he gets votes for that. Um, who has finished very very strong? He's doing a terrific job in practice. His defense has improved tremendously, and I think next year, you know, we could have an all-conference caliber player playing either at the one or two. Yep. Yeah, no question. I think you got lots of uh, lots of hope for uh, the immediate future. Um, all right. Well, Wednesday night, Virginia comes to town. Defending champs are here. Big game for for you. Big game for them, and uh, that'll be very exciting. Look forward to it. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here tonight on the show. It's been a great hour. Well, thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Always enjoy talking with you. All right, Coach. I'll see you on Wednesday. It's uh, University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. When we come back, we'll start hour number two with Don Bailey Jr. talking with Corey Gaynor and Zach McLeod. Day one, uh, spring football practice. Katie Meyer and also Gino Damari in the lineup card or on the lineup card as we continue on the Hurricane Hotline. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.